G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. The topic of our conversation this hour is from Me Street to He Street, becoming a follower of Christ. Dave Jensen lived a life as a drinker, a fighter and a womanizer in the Australian Army. But something happened when he was in his later 20s. He became a Christian. Dave's testimony includes his journey from uh, through being in the army. He went through divorce. He had issues with anger. Alcohol was right in the center of all of that, and all of that before being born again. Uh, these days, he's working in Christian ministry. He is an evangelist, and he is joining us today through this hour. Hello, Dave Jensen. Welcome along to 2020. G'day, Neil. Thanks very much. Great to be here. Dave, uh, I hope I've got that uh, all right when we talk about your past, and I'll get you to enlarge on a few things there. Mm. But I want to introduce a twist into this conversation for listeners. Uh, Some listeners will be familiar with your name, and Mm. uh, many will be familiar with your last name, because the twist is that in all of this, we're going to be talking about your story. It's a little bit like a prodigal son story, because (laughs) you grew up, and, and when all of this stuff was happening in your life, the twist is that you're the youngest son of the former Anglican Archbishop of Sydney, Peter Jensen, who's a, a well-known figure in Australian Christian uh, leadership. Yeah. Uh, let me just ask you, when you let's, before we start talking about your prodigalness, uh, mm. tell me about your upbringing in, in the home of someone who was church leader. Yeah, uh, thanks, Neil. I, I grew up, and my dad... Uh, was and is a pastor, but not only him. My uh, my uncle uh, Philip is a, is a well-known pastor here in Sydney. Uh, I, I grew up in a family immersed with the Bible. I mean, we were we were that family who who read the Bible after dinner uh, every single night. We uh, church on a Sunday wasn't a casual attendance; it was something we we did, uh, and we did throughout my entire life. So, being brought up around people who knew and loved and also proclaimed. Jesus was really what I was used to. Um, my, my upbringing was very happy, uh, a very fun sports world. I'm the youngest of five. Uh, I grew up, my dad was the, the principal of a Bible college called Moore Theological College in Sydney. Um, so that was my upbringing. It certainly wasn't, I, I never uh, resented Christianity. I, I never uh, was anti-religious. I certainly never claimed to be an atheist, but it was never real to me. It was never authentic. It was never anything that I embraced. It was more of a jacket that I'd put on when comfortable, but I was more than happy to take off when it became uncomfortable. It's an interesting way to talk about faith because Mm. some will say when you're raised in a Christian home, when the answers to the meaning of life are there on tap, Mm. uh, that somehow or other you'd be expected to have absorbed all of that. But you can go through an upbringing and you can be resistant to the things of God. And I guess because uh, there's all sorts of reasons, and I'll ask your thoughts. I mean, mm. what is it that makes a a son like yourself resistant to the things of God because of that sort of upbringing? Well, I don't know if it was um, 
my resistance was based because of my upbringing. Uh, but what I will say is that my upbringing, um, it, it never led me uh, to an authentic personal belief. Now, now I need to be clear, uh, that wasn't that my parents didn't uh, encourage me towards that. It wasn't that I didn't know that that was what was required. Uh, but the, the stark truth of it is uh, that everyone's walk with Jesus, everyone's walk with God is personal. God doesn't have, God, doesn't have grandchildren, as, as the saying goes. He's got children. Um, so as, as much as we want and desire, and I'm now a father of four, uh, desire for our children to know and love the Lord Jesus, it, it's one of those things we can't force, can we? We, we can't insist upon it as a rule. Uh, so it was certainly uh, nothing in my upbringing that led me to reject Jesus. It was more uh, my own heart was so greatly desiring of my own ambition, my own pleasure, my own desires being fulfilled, that that quickly became my God. Now, this is, in hindsight, I can look at it at the time, I didn't see it as that, but just as a teenager, I just very quickly replaced uh, the true God of, of the universe uh, with myself and what I wanted became the most important thing. Uh, my parents saw it happening. They certainly talked to me and counseled me and prayed for me. Um, but at the end of the day, that they couldn't force me to follow God uh, any more than I can force my own children to do so. It's a great point. Whether you are raised in a Christian home or not, uh, God doesn't have grandchildren. And mm. we all need to make a discovery somewhere along the journey of our lives. Mm. Mm. Uh, the statistics would show us that it's mainly at the younger end of our lives that we actually make these sorts of decisions. That's right. And you really, when it came to a time when you were... Uh, looking to establish your own identity, and there was this rebellious streak in you. Mm. Uh, when you got to those teenage years, you decided it wasn't the church that you were going to uh, be part of, uh, but you were going to be in rebellion. How did that look when you started to have your own uh, your own will, uh, your own wings? Uh, you could do your own thing. How did that feel to, to separate from what your parents had hoped for you? Yeah, it's a great question, Neil. I suppose for me what it looked like uh, was I really began to embrace um, fulfilling my own desires, whatever they were. So for me it might have been something really innocuous, something uh, uh, which was a good thing. So I loved sport. I loved rugby league. I still do love rugby league. I love music. Um, so I had these great desires and ambitions of fame uh, in sport or, or in music. I was constantly seeking adulation and uh, acclaim f from the outside. I, I was desperate uh, that people would like me, more than like me, respect me. Uh, on the football field, they would fear me. Uh, I, I was in a group uh, of guys, or this isn't uh, uncommon, of course, uh, certainly very common uh, where I grew up, that being the tough guy, being uh, the best fighter, the best with the girls, these are the things uh, that you wanted to do, and, and that's what I became. Um, so that's what it looked like on a practical level. I mean, it, it got far worse than that. I became a very prodigious liar. Um, I was terrified of disappointing my parents. I loved and loved my parents deeply. Um, so I was terrified of letting them down, but not terrified enough that I wouldn't do what I wanted. Uh, I just became very good at lying about it. Uh, my parents weren't naive, but they're very trusting and, and they trusted us and I took advantage of that. Uh, so when I was a teenager, um, I wasn't involved in drinking or drugs or anything like this, but sex became a very big thing for me. Uh, pornography, which led to, uh, led to, led to sex uh, as a teenager, and that became something uh, that 
quickly consumed me, but more than that, I always associated with lying because I had to lie about it as well. Um, and that's what it looked like. What did it feel like? Well, to be perfectly honest, um, it, it felt amazing. I, I felt like I was finally becoming the person uh, that I was allowed to be. I felt like shackles were, were gone from me, that I was able to, to live my way, doing my thing, whatever I wanted, with whoever I wanted. Um, and I felt I was pulling a fast one on my parents, but of course the reality was the only person I was pulling a fast one on was myself. Uh, I just couldn't see it at the time. I want to talk to you some more about your past very shortly, but let's come to a point in your later 20s when you had a amazing transition. Now, what led up to this transition? Because this is the sort of thing that I'd like our listeners to participate in today, talking about this transition. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're talking about from me street to he street and yeah. what actually makes that happen. As you reflect on your own life, your own story, your own testimony, in the lead up to that time, what was happening in your life? Well, uh, by my late 20s, I joined the Army, the Australian Army, as an infantry officer uh, when I was in my early 20s. I'd, I'd got a girl pregnant in my late teens uh, and got married, had another child, and been divorced. So by the age of 23, I was uh, a lieutenant in the Army, was divorced, uh, doing my own thing. And fast forward five years, uh, I was living in Darwin. Uh, I was a captain in the Australian infantry, uh, living in Darwin, doing whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, however I wanted. Uh, I was really achieving everything. I'd ever wanted in my life. Uh, I was earning good money. I was doing well um, on the footy field, doing well at work. I was popular, uh, enjoyed the company and, and womanizing and, uh, and fighting. So really, uh, from the outside, from as far as my mates could see and as far as I myself could see at times, really life couldn't get any better. Uh, it, it all led to a point though, Neil, uh, in September 2009, which is when I was 28. Uh, I woke up one morning um, hungover, and, and for the life of me, I didn't know why, but I was struck with my past. I, I couldn't get over um, the things that I'd done. I started to dwell about the man I really was, the lying, the cheating, the drunkenness, uh, the way that I treated women, uh, the, the, just the complete deceitfulness of my life. Uh, and then I started to think about the future, not only my life in the present, that in actual fact, I wasn't happy. In actual fact, the reason I kept trying to uh, sleep around or get drunk or get the biggest high or the biggest uh, accomplishment was that I was never satisfied. But I started to think long-term future. And by that, I mean after I died. I, I began to get very afraid. This is all on the same day, uh, that when I died, I was going to go to hell. Um, I, I knew I wasn't a good person by anyone's gauge most people have a very sort of fluctuating gauge of what a good person is but I knew by anyone's gauge I wasn't a good person and I knew uh, that I was in deep deep trouble when I died um, that day I, I called a, a friend I knew who was an army padre a padre is a, a chaplain in the army and the army's got heaps of them um, and I called one that I had an association with and I, I talked to him and I said to him I said Tim um, I'm terrified. And he said, what of? And I confessed everything I'd done in my life. And he goes, I know you've done all that. I'd been lying about it for years, of course. Um, and I said, I need to get right with God. Uh, not only is my life a complete waste now, but I'm terrified of what happens after I die. And he said, uh, you need to understand what Jesus has actually done. Uh, and he took me to a part of the Bible in Romans chapter 5, where it talks about 
who Jesus died for. It talks about uh, Jesus didn't die for the perfect. He didn't die for the righteous, but he died for those who were dead in their sins. Um, I I realized at that moment that the death of Jesus wasn't uh, for me when I was good. It wasn't for me in the future when I'd sorted my life out, as I thought. I thought, "I, I need to clean everything up and then Jesus will love me. I realized that it was in the depth of my sin that Jesus died for me. Jesus had seen everything I'd done and he still chose the cross. Um, I'd heard that message, brother, probably a hundred thousand times my entire life. But it was at that moment God chose to uh, take the blinkers off. As you were saying before about amazing grace, the blind had sight. Uh, And I saw for the first time the beauty of the cross of Jesus. Uh, I I repented of my sins and I, I turned to Jesus and cried out to him in tears on my bedside at Robertson Barracks in Darwin um, that he would save me. Not only that he would save me, that he would change and transform me, that I could actually live my life with him as my Lord. Uh, I fell asleep in tears that night, woke up the next morning, um, and listen, there was no uh, lightning bolt or anything that made me uh, this incredible person or anything like that. Uh, but what, I, what happened when I woke up was I had the greatest sensation of being forgiven, of being loved. Um, and as the years have gone by since then, uh, that has never left me. I've been completely assured through Scripture and through the Holy Spirit that I'm saved and forgiven and set free from my past and uh, my eternity is secure in Christ. We're talking through the issue this hour, from Me Street to He Street. Our special guest is Dave Jensen, an evangelist. His testimony is one of being a liar, a fighter, a drinker, and a womanizer. And he found Jesus Christ, turned his life around. We're talking through details about his story, but we're also talking about his story today and taking your calls too. 1-800-316-316 is our number. You can be part of our conversation. Dave, let's hear from one of our listeners. Robin is in Mount Morgan in Queensland. Hi, Robin. Welcome along. Yes, Hi. Um, I'm really pleased to hear um, his success story. Um, I've been involved with um, uh, a guy very similar um, for the last probably five years. And um, I want to I say straight up, this was definitely from God. I, um, God spoke to me before I met him, um, told me a man was on the way. That, and all the way along, God has spoken to me, but it's been very, very difficult. But in the beginning, it was... Um, the prodigal son, I, I, I wrote him a letter concerning the, the prodigal son. And, um, I mean, there were so many, so many signs all the way along that this was the guy that God had told me about. And I got to know his parents um, a little later. Um, but I sent him a letter about the prodigal son a few days later. The pastor at the church I was attending said, um, spoke about the prodigal son, that I found music CD because he's into music. Um, I bought this CD for him and um, that as well. Um, But all the way along, every single time that God spoke to me and that I um, used scriptures to talk to this man, um, God would always confirm it by the pastor in the church that I was attending at the time, even though the pastor had no idea what I was saying to this guy. For two months at one stage, because... um, Sometimes he would, uh, you know, give me time to speak to him. Other times he wouldn't. So I, I wrote down all these scriptures and themes in uh, to speak to his lifestyle in a notebook. And um, I was just perusing it on the Saturday night and the Sunday morning. 
went to church and that pastor repeated every one of those three themes plus all the um, all the scriptures. So I'm just wanting to say that I haven't done this blindly. Um, but another thing, uh, along it's been very very difficult, and I have had opposition from him, his mates, Christians, everybody. Nobody except for one friend believed in me because she was with me. So many times. Robin, God. some great thoughts in what you're sharing there, and uh, it illustrates that there are a lot of prodigals, uh, not necessarily yeah. in church, but whether it's in a sporting club or somewhere in our community. Let's hear from our guest, Dave Jensen. Dave, mm. uh, there are a lot of prodigals. When you are addressing big audiences, and I know you get to speak to some pretty big crowds, and we might talk about the Kick Conference that's running over three weekends. It's on this weekend as well. Mm. Uh, but when you're looking out over a sea of faces, uh, you know that there are a lot of young men and women who are in this same prodigal category. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what we need to uh, be constantly remembering is that without the Spirit of God revealing His truth, His grace, His love, His mercy, uh, and His forgiveness, uh, that in essence, everyone is in this same boat. Um, so uh, that word prodigal, I love. I mean, it's wasteful, it's extravagant, it's reckless. Uh, I also, use, I also uh, often love and use the, the other uh, reference to the story that Jesus tells of the lost son. That when you look out uh, upon a church crowd or a, a crowd of uh, teenagers at school, or it, it doesn't matter. Um, every single one of them that does not know Christ is lost. Uh, Now, of course, there are people in extreme situations like I was in or like Robin's friend here. Uh, And those people, and I was certainly one of them, can tend to go on the more extreme end. Uh, can really uh, fill ourselves uh, with worldly pleasures, or Galatians 5 refers to the the acts of the flesh. Um, I reckon the best way to approach all of this, whether it be through the respectable sins that can uh, lead many people away from God, or, or the wild and reckless ones, is remembering the power of prayer. I, I was saved uh, when I was 28 years old. But let me tell you, that was 28 years of some of the most fervent, regular, routine, and um, passionate prayer of my parents and their friends. Uh, and God answered their prayers in His timing. So I, I'd love to encourage Robin and, and anyone out there who is dealing with someone who is reckless and wild or someone who's respectable but still just as lost. Uh, the answer here is to pray constantly to God for their salvation. Uh, in Colossians 4, where Paul prays for an open door. we just got to pray constantly for open doors to share our faith, share the, the gospel of Jesus Christ with these people. It is God who saves, and he is mighty to save. There is no one uh, too far gone that they cannot be saved by the love of God. You've just got to always remember that. Robin from Mount Morgan, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to contribute to our conversation. We're talking about from me street to he street and what that transition looks like. An important point you're raising here, Dave Jensen, as the youngest son of uh, the former Anglican Archbishop of Sydney, Peter Jensen, when you say, my parents were praying fervently for me, did you realise that they were praying for you uh, even in the years when you were gone astray? Was it something that in the back of your mind you thought, you know, I'm doing all this stuff, uh, my parents are praying for me, but you probably didn't give much credence, much weight to the fact that they were? Uh, you, You know what, brother? I don't think I even thought about it. Okay. I, I, I knew they would have, um, in the same way that they pray fervently for all their children and 
uh, the children of others and their friends and, and many people. Um, but I, I just don't even think I thought about it. I, I didn't think um, that there were these people, not just them but others, uh, on their knees before our almighty God, um, bringing my soul into, into his hands. I, I didn't think that way. Um, it was funny, it wasn't until after I became a Christian and I kept bumping into people all the time. All around Australia, Dad's quite a, was a, well, still is, but a, a prominent guy. All the time, they'd say, oh, you're David Jensen. We've been praying for you for 10 years, for 15 years, for, for whatever. Um, but I found out my, my parents have been telling people and getting people to pray on my behalf for years and decades. Um, it was truly wonderful to find that out. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Tim in Eden's Landing in Queensland. Hi, Tim. Welcome along. Hi, um, Neil. Just wanted to say that, uh, yeah, look, I had a similar story to Dave. I grew up in the Anglican Church. My dad was an Anglican pastor. And um, I, I, I totally went away from the Lord for quite a few years and didn't come back till I was 28 as well and lived quite a reckless life. Um, I guess what turned me away and, and I found disappointing in, in the traditional church is that it was mainly all sort of form and ceremony and stuff. And as a young kid seeing that, I, I just sort of felt like if that's what a relationship with God looks like, then I don't want it. You know, there wasn't anybody there my age. It was all mainly old people. And, and I thought, you know, I just totally dismissed the whole thing and just, you know, went wild for quite a few years. And um, and when I finally did find the Lord and, and, and um, or he found me, um, and it was overseas in a, in a small, run-down Filipino church in Taiwan, you know. I mean, I, I had a lot of anger towards my dad and towards God for, for, um, for, not, showing me, for not showing me himself earlier. And, 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 and even though there was times when he spoke to me, but I didn't know who it was because I just didn't know who it was. And, Tim, and I just sort of I'm going to have on. to cut us short because I've got the news coming up, but you raised some important points, and particularly those ones for kids who are raised in church, and we might get some perspectives from Dave beyond the news. But you can be part of our conversation, our talkback line, 1-800-316-316. We're talking about from Me Street to He Street. What does that look like? Back with more after the news. Our special guest this hour is Dave Jensen. Dave lived his life... Life as a drinker, a fighter, a liar, a womanizer in the Australian Army. But something happened when he was 28 years of age. He became a Christian. His story includes his journey through the Army, through divorce, through anger, through alcohol, prior, prior to, be, to being born again. These days he works in a church called MBM, Multicultural Bible Ministry, under the leadership of senior pastor Ray Galea, a well-known Christian author and a prominent evangelical preacher in Sydney. Uh, we're talking with Dave Jensen. We're hearing his personal story. We're talking about this transition that happens from me to he as you become a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Dave, as we talk about this transition, uh, people talk to you these days about what sort of a difference it makes when you are a Christian to what it was when you were following on your own agenda. How do you respond to people who ask you about the difference? Well, I suppose the, uh, the important thing that we need to really constantly tell people when we're telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus on the cross changes your past. Your sins are forgiven when he is your Lord. He changes your present uh, 
who you live for and how you live changes. Any changes, your future, your eternity is secure. People love to think about the past, but also about the present. What Jesus does for us today when he is your Lord is changes everything. Primarily, I think the way that my life has changed most is I'm no longer living for the opinions of men. I'm no longer even living for my own opinion of myself, whether high or low, whether happy or sad. I know that the only opinion that matters is God's. So living for for God, understanding what he thinks of me, that he loves me relentlessly, uh, he's proven that by his son on the cross. He proves it time and time again through his forgiveness and his love and his uh, Holy Spirit. Uh, That's really changed everything. When I first became a Christian brother, gee, I really struggled really struggled to move from the lifestyle that had engulfed me for years and years and years. Uh, I kept getting drunk, I kept chasing girls, I kept getting in fights. But what the Spirit did inside, inside of me was incredible. For the first time ever, the Spirit showed me exactly why what I was doing was so offensive to God. And I began to hate my sin. I began to hate what I did. Um, the more I tried to fix things myself, the more I realized how utterly incapable I was. And so as I began to stop getting drunk, stop sleeping around, stop getting in fights, I began to realize the way for me to do this, the only way for me to do this is through reliance in God. It's got to be through prayer, through Christian brotherhood and, and family, through uh, going to a church, through being immersed in scripture God speaks through his word and the more I read the Bible the more I listened and opened my heart to his word the more that I began to not only hate my sin but love obedience love doing what God wanted uh, and realizing oh my goodness you know what this is the best way to live I I love living this way Um, that's how my life is different I I don't live I'd love for you to to like me Neil but at the end of the day whether you do or don't it doesn't change my eternity and that's what matters you know what I uh, I'm impressed by and uh, with this idea that and it would be very naive of us to think that people who are in church uh, who are Christian in appearance uh, that there may not be an element of uh, these sorts of issues continuing to present themselves this idea of uh, I know there's a he agenda that I ought to be following, but this me agenda is a very strong pull on my life and it uh, encourages me to go the way of my own self and my own selfishness and not the way of he. There's a sense, isn't there, that I suspect that, that there'd be a lot listening into our conversation who can relate to this, the idea of pretending to be a Christian. And uh, But there is a work that God is doing in the life of that person who claims uh, Christ, uh, that there is a work that is moving towards uh, this new identity in him. Oh, you, you, you're so right. There's two things that uh, we need to make really clear, that uh, there is such a thing as a fake Christian. So putting on uh, the jacket of Christianity, uh, whether that be going to church, being involved, uh, even more than that, you might even be in ministry. Uh, but the reality is, unless you have been born again, Jesus makes it very clear in John 3.3, 3, uh, the only people who see the kingdom of God are those who are born again, um, who have become a new creation in Christ. And that is Christ's great desire for you in your life. That is why he's got you coming to church. But not so that you would, I suppose, trapes yourself in ritual or empty religion. He hates empty religion. Uh, what he wants is, is a heart change, a transformation of your heart that he could become the Lord of your life. But the the other people who probably need to hear this, I suppose, and it was certainly me when I first became a Christian, are those who are living on He Street, those who love the Lord Jesus with their heart, 
but still go back and visit the real estate on Me Street from time to time. Still go back and go, well, I, I miss my old sin. I miss my old way of living. And that can be through pornography or uh, drinking or a sexual relationship or lying, whatever it is. What we need to constantly remind ourselves is life on He Street is better. The destination is far better, but the journey itself is far more satisfying, far more enjoyable, uh, and far more completely uh, desirable than anything Me Street, anything putting yourself first, has to offer. He Street has the best destination and the best journey. You know, while we're talking transitions, you are really uh, touching a very uh, sensitive area, I suspect, uh, for a lot of us listening into the conversation, this idea of revisiting the real estate on Me Street, mm. uh, because there is no uh, police person who's on the beat who's <laughs> saying, you ought not to be here. Uh, really, it comes down to the desires of the heart. And you, you said uh, when you were talking about your testimony that those things began to change and you began to hate the lifestyle that you had. Mm. Something was happening. And when we talk transitions, how are we talking about the way that feelings and desires change uh, when you're doing that transition, turning away from those things, repenting from those things? Yeah, yeah. It, it's what the Spirit does. Oh, the, the great news, of course, brother, is that we're not in this alone. There is no public policeman. I love that analogy. There's no one there watching you except God. And, and realizing that God is not only watching, but he's with you. He is for you. He, he's cheering you on and pushing you forward. He is within you. The book of Colossians says you are filled with Christ, the fullness of Christ. Uh, realizing that takes the pressure off. It's not about your performance. It's not about uh, your discipline, although God will use those things. But it is God's spirit and power within you. So what the spirit does uh, time and time again in people's lives is give us an awareness, a newfound awareness of our sin. The things we used to do without even thinking about it, um, whatever it looked like, respectable or wretched, uh, the things that we used to do, we are now aware of, hyper aware of it at times. We're aware that, my goodness, this isn't what pleases God. This isn't what I should do. And, I, and Scripture indicates that that awareness, that awareness of our sin uh, is how the Holy Spirit is, is working within us to convict us and bring us to repentance. And of course, the final part of repentance that we all too often forget is the walking forward. We're, we're, all, we're very good at turning back and saying sorry, but we need to remember that saying sorry is also part of that is moving forward and saying, right, I'm going to keep that cross in front of me. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to not stop, not go back and visit my old real estate, but I'm burning that to the ground. I'm moving forward and moving forward. And being immersed in the grace of God, knowing that his love won't run out, it doesn't give us an excuse to do that, of course. It's further ammunition for us. It's further wind beneath us, pushing us forward. Dave, reflect for us for a moment on this issue of sin and sins that we are oftentimes immersed in, because when we realize that God can fix us, 
that Jesus is there to lead us through this transition. I suspect having an understanding of what those sins are is important, although we're sometimes reluctant to be naming sins because uh, people will call us all sorts of names because yeah. uh, we're, you know, uh, hellfire and brimstone uh, preachers calling everybody sinners. Yeah. Uh, but there is a sense, isn't there, that if, if you don't understand what sin is, you might not understand the alternative of what it is to be free from those sins. Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the reality is the Bible calls sin, uh, literally means it, it's talking about a, a, an archer aiming for a target and he's missing the mark. Another way of thinking of sin is a rejection of God. Galatians chapter 5 talks about uh, the sins of the flesh and it lists out a big list. But there's two words in there which I think summarize our sin for the most part. And those words are selfish ambition. And if you investigate your heart through Scripture and uh, with the Holy Spirit, I think you're able to see that selfish ambition really does drive us forward in a lot of the ways that we reject God. It could be something respectable. Uh, it could be in the way we take pride in giving money to charity. I mean, that's a great thing, but to take sinful pride in that, uh, that we're doing it so other people would think higher of us than we ought. Uh, it could be something utterly disrespectable. It could be uh, going to brothels, visiting prostitutes. Uh, it could be being a drug addict. Uh, we need to understand that the, the core problem of this is not the sin itself, but the heart behind the sin. Uh, and when we see that, that's when we can truly identify that, my goodness, my, my motives here they're not pure. They're not righteous. I mean, I feel this all the time, brother, in, um, in preaching. Uh, I'm preaching at a, a youth conference called Kick at the moment at Katoomba, a big one, and I know we'll speak of that later. But at this conference, you're speaking before thousands of people, and the constant temptation that the devil is putting on me is to feel higher of myself than I ought, that, that I am somehow special, that I have somehow made it, that I am somehow... Uh, a big deal because I'm speaking before these, these you know, swathes of people. But the reality is the opposite. My one qualification for standing and preaching is that I am a wretch saved by God. <laughs> I mean, Paul writes, he is the chief of sinners. Uh, and when we have that value, that view of ourselves, that I'm not preaching uh, from a perspective of, of my goodness. I'm preaching from a perspective of I'm an utter sinner saved by the grace of God. When I feel... The, the true reflection of myself and then see through that true reflection the true glory of God reflected in Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the step forward. Uh, but we can't fool ourselves. When we, when we fool ourselves, the only people we're fooling is ourselves. We're, we're, not, we're not fooling God. And we need to bring these things before God. In fact, you were describing what it feels like to be set free. And uh, the temptation is to think that uh, I'm free, therefore, uh, you know, I'm above where I was. Uh, but you were reflecting on this uh, sensation of being set free, all to do with a recognition of forgiveness that comes from God. Oh, oh yes. I mean, we need to understand what does God want for our lives. God, God has a desire for your life to, today, listening to this, that you be joyful. God desires your joy but we need to understand what is behind that joy. See, joy is far deeper than happiness. Happiness is a mood. <laughs> happiness is, oh, did I get to work on time? Is there, a, is there a traffic jam? Have the kids behaved? That's happiness and sadness, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about true joy. And, and true joy, we read in 2 Corinthians, can only come through repentance. Why? Because when you repent, what do you think of? 
oh, you think of the cross of Calvary. You think of that man hanging on that tree for you. That if there was only one person on earth, he would still do it. He would still die for you. That is joy. Understanding that you are relentlessly uh, pursued and loved by God in the face of your sinfulness. Uh, I I truly believe, Neil, that uh, not until you understand the true wretchedness of your soul can you true delight in the glory and love of God. Uh, And that is not a mood, that is a setting of the heart. Uh, and it doesn't go away. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're talking about what it looks like going from me street to he street, becoming a follower of Christ. Dave Jensen is our guest, a man who lived his life as a drinker, a fighter, a liar, a womanizer in the Australian army. But something happened when he was 28 years of age. He was born again. He became a Christian. We're talking about what that feels like. The twist in the story is that we're talking about the youngest son of the former Anglican Archbishop of Sydney, a very well-known identity in Christian circles in Australia, Peter Jensen. And uh, we'll take a call in just a few moments, but I want to hear uh, just uh, quickly from you, Dave. Uh, when you had been born again, age 28, you were sharing that you your parents were praying for you in all of these years when you were the prodigal son. Mm. Uh, when you shared that you had been born again with your father, how was his reaction? Oh, let me tell you, I, I was on leave uh, from the army, I was I had two weeks. I was living in Darwin when I became a Christian. I didn't tell my parents until I arrived back in Sydney on leave, and I was uh, I was nervous. And I was sitting there watching the television with Dad. I think we were watching the footy, the, the Sydney Roosters, our team. We were watching them play, and it was half time. And I pressed mute. And I turned to him and I said, "Dad, I have some news." And he said, "Yes." And he had a good right to be suspicious. Um, and I said, I, "I've given my life to Jesus. Um, I'm going to live for Jesus." Uh, and we're, we're Aussie men, you know, we're not big criers and big whatever. Um, but the, the delight on my dad's face uh, will be with me forever. Um, my mum and dad both had a subdued delight, that is, uh, anxious desire that this would stick, <laughs> that I wouldn't uh, then you know, give it all up when it got tough. They knew what was coming, how hard it would be to keep following Jesus. But um, their delight and their pleasure in my conversion are still to this day, which we constantly talk about, uh, is a great source of delight to me as well. Dave, let's take another call. Rose is in East Brisbane in Queensland. Hi, Rose. Good morning, gentlemen. Rose, what are your thoughts? Well, I see the calling of God as like a drawing and the love of Christ like a drawing to salvation. And um, Dave mentioned that uh, about the door of utterance, Colossians 4, 3, with all praying for us, also for us, that God would open unto us the door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. So I see the calling of God as being like a bond service, not a heavy yoke. And you mentioned that um, you were serving yourself. And um, as like an example, in uh, 2 Timothy 3.13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, Deceiving and being deceived. Uh, good thoughts there, Rose. Uh, your response, uh, Dave? I'd just like to really rate what Rose said there. Uh, thank you, sister, for, the, for this call. Was that in, in Colossians 4, Paul writes, uh, I, I want you to pray for me for an open door. 
um, to proclaim the gospel for which I am in chains. Now, Paul's not been uh, metaphorical. Paul is in prison. Okay? Paul is in Rome, in prison for being an evangelist, for telling people about Jesus. And his prayer is not for release. His prayer is not for overpowering the guards. His prayer is for further opportunities to proclaim the gospel. And for the, for the brothers and sisters in Christ listening today, I'd love for, for us to really grab hold of that, to be passionately on fire for telling people about Jesus and realizing that it's God who opens the door. we just got to walk through it. Thank you so much to Rose from East Brisbane. And uh, thanks to those who've called through the hour and been participants in this conversation because we're talking about going from Me Street to He Street, that transition that is taking place and perhaps uh, looking at a number of dimensions. What does it feel like? What are the responsibilities that are on the individual when you are born again, when you are becoming a follower of Christ? And it might even be a conversation for another day, Dave, mm. to talk about what it is to have a transition, a born-again experience, to be a follower of Christ. But then it's another story as to how God calls uh, someone like yourself uh, then into a ministry role and uh, mm. becoming an evangelist. But we will save that for another day because I want to ask you about the Kick Conference. It yeah. goes over three weekends. It's in the Blue Mountains. It's been on last weekend and the weekend before. Yeah. This is the third installment this weekend in the Blue Mountains. Uh, what's your role and what sort of things are you sharing about? Well, uh, I'm one of the speakers at this uh, conference. This conference has been going for around 20 years or so, uh, and it's a great time of youth from not just Sydney, but all over Australia. There's a mob there from Darwin last week. All over come. Uh, we sing together, we pray together, and we hear the Word of God. I- I'm one of the preachers there. And-, and this year, we're looking at the topic of above all, the true resume of Jesus, that he's not just a man, but he's created God. Uh, and we're doing that through the book of Colossians. Uh, it's been an incredible two weekends. Uh, if you're interested in coming, if you're in Sydney, uh, you're a youth group or uh, you're outside of Sydney and you can make it, go to kcc.org.au uh, and there's still tickets available. There's around 6,000 teenagers who come over the three weekends, Neil, and uh, it's, I tell you, <laughs> it, it wears you out hanging out with people with that much energy for that long, but uh, it's a wonderful time where, where people can be encouraged, youth can be encouraged, but also it's evangelistic. So we have hundreds of youth are coming to know and love the Lord Jesus over these weekends. And it is a big deal when you talk about 6,000 teenagers mm. who are participating in a conference like that and uh, learning to talk the talk, learning to walk the walk, those uh, one and the same thing because uh, we're all on a pursuit now following Jesus Christ. Uh, getting those things all lined up, talking the talk and walking the walk, that's part of the transition, isn't it? Oh, I mean, your walk talks. We we got to know that. Uh, we say we love Jesus with our with our mouth, and we don't do it with our actions. Uh, it disgraces Jesus, um, but it also really shows that maybe your heart's not where it should be. Our walk talks, uh, and in the same way, what we say walks. <laughs> what we say matters. We need to be prepared always to uh, to tell of the gospel of Jesus. We need to show love with what we say. Uh, we've got to live like Jesus. And we've got to love like Jesus in the way we walk and talk. Dave, you're an evangelist and, interestingly, an evangelist in the Anglican tradition. Not all Anglicans uh, think exactly like around Australia, but certainly the Sydney Anglicans, uh, renowned being very evangelical. When you lead a young person uh, through to faith in Jesus Christ, what does that look like in a meeting or, or how does that work? People come forward at the end of a message. How do they respond and become followers of Christ? 
Oh, well, I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the Anglican tradition in Sydney, listen, take it or leave it. We're evangelical. By that we mean we're Bible-believing Christians. I, I don't even, I can't remember I'm an Anglican half the time. We're, we're people who love Jesus and love his word and, and love seeing him transform lives. Um, what, what it looks like, really, uh, is it's different for everyone. But at Kick, for example, we give people an opportunity to, to stand and say, yes, I, I, I do believe in Jesus. Yes, I do want to follow him. Maybe this is the first time they do it. Maybe they're actually coming back to Jesus after going back to their old real estate, and now they're coming back. Um, but we give people the opportunity to do that, and they come and speak to myself or one of our counsellors. And really what we do uh, is speak to them about the cross of Christ. Um, we're not about numbers. We're not about, oh, well, we've got hundreds of conversions. What we're about is seeing lives transformed through Jesus. And that can happen immediately for some people, and it can take longer. Uh, we're, we're really into uh, investing people's lives uh, through Scripture uh, into the glory of Jesus Christ and Him on the cross. And, and that's the only way that it happens, regardless of age, in my experience. Uh, that's what we've got to be pushing towards. Uh, well, Dave Jensen, great getting your insights today and uh, all the best with the Kick Conference this weekend. And uh, you mentioned people can find uh, details about the Kick Conference, K-Y-C-K, spelt a little differently to the usual Kick, <laughs> K-Y-C-K Conference, Son in the Blue Mountains. And uh, it might be an opportunity if you are in the region there around uh, Sydney and uh, those towns and cities surrounding Sydney to be part of that Kick Conference. Uh, Dave, great getting your insights. Thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.